0: This morning we're reading from Nehemiah 1. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned, and fasted, and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. Good morning. It's great to be together
1: today, um, especially a beautiful fall day like this. My name is Gary Weber, the pastor here at Southside. And if you're a guest, we say welcome to you. We're glad that you've joined us Um, we are in the second week of a new series that we've called Built to Last. Uh, The song we just heard addresses that at its foundation in that we as a church recognize what the scripture proclaims and that is that Jesus is the foundation. He is the solid ground uh, upon which we build. Uh, We're talking for the next few weeks about how do you build on that foundation? How do you have a faith that endures And how do we have a church that prevails? I don't know how many of you like to read leadership books, if you're involved or have been involved maybe in the corporate world and different books that uh, folks write to help leaders of companies. Uh, Jim Collins wrote a book not long ago called Built to Last, and in that book he talked about the enduring companies in America, Johnson & Johnson, uh, some of those companies that have been around for a 100 years or more, and he tried to determine what principles had those companies employed that had allowed those companies to survive all the changes that have happened in the economy and in our society, and as I was reading the book, I was struck by the fact that we are a part of an organization that has not just survived hundred years or a little more we're part of an organization that has survived millennia that the church from its foundation in Jerusalem that we read about in Acts chapter 2 has endured and persevered for 2,000 years and we come here together as part of this movement as part of the church and it has prevailed and it has endured And so during this series, we're looking at the idea of the prevailing church. We know that Jesus said he would build his church uh, and that it would prevail against even the gates of hell. Uh, But Paul made an interesting statement. He, He talked about the fact that the foundation is secure, but we as believers choose the materials we use to build upon that foundation of Jesus Christ. Listen to what he said as he was writing to a church in its infancy, the very, one of the very first churches in its early days, and he, a church that he had planted. Here's what he said, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building on it. And then he says, let each one take care how he builds upon it. The building material matters and the methods matter. A faith that is built to last is a faith that is built intentionally. It's a faith that's built with care. It's a faith that's built with determination. Your good intentions are not enough. You have to determine how you're going to build and with what materials you're going to build your faith. Because most of us in this room are old enough to have endured the storms that come. It's what Jesus said about the man who built his house on the rock and another man who built it on The sand and the storms came, the wind came, and the rain blew, and Paul added to that the idea of a fire that would come and test everything that was built. What is left standing after the storms of life? It's it's about more than just our good intentions. It's about the choices we make in building our faith. So to to explore this a little further this week, I want to go back into the Old Testament to one of my very favorite characters one of my very favorite books. And we've actually looked at this book before and we took about six or eight weeks and went verse by verse through this book several years ago. But I want to look at it today. There had had been a change in the leadership and uh, the new regime that came into power had said, okay, if anybody wants to go back to their homeland in Jerusalem, you can. Uh, Nehemiah stayed, uh, but his brother's and some of his family had gone back to Jerusalem. Well, they came back to visit Nehemiah, and they had an encounter that took place. And through the course of Nehemiah's life, we see four particular things that Nehemiah was determined to do. And if we as a church and if you as a believer are going to have a faith that lasts, there needs to be some determination. There need to be, there need to be some things that you decide upon. And Nehemiah models that for us. So I want to look at four particular ways, uh, four particular determinations that Nehemiah made. The first one is that Nehemiah was determined to know. He was determined to know what was going on. His brothers came to visit, and in verse 3 we read this, as he's asking his brother, basically, how are things back in Jerusalem? He's getting the family update and the family report. And, And then this is what it says. Those who survived the exile... And are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The walls of Jerusalem is broken, and its gates have been burned with fire. Now, this had been the condition of the walls around Jerusalem for 77 years. It, it had been the conditions of the walls of Jerusalem when Nehemiah was born. The fact that Nehemiah was unaware did not change the reality of the situation. There are many opportunities in our life to avoid the truth. And we do it all the time. We, we often avoid the things that are broken or uncomfortable in our life. And our avoidance often turns to acceptance. And our acceptance turns into blindness. So if we think, if we just look the other way... If we just change the channel on the TV, we can avoid what's happening in our world. If we just avoid talking to that family member who's battling addiction, if we just avoid opening our bills to see just how much debt we're actually in, if we just avoid it, then it'll go away. But it never does, does it? The reality that the walls are broken doesn't change just because you decide to stick your head in the sand. And so what's happened here is that Nehemiah is finding out a reality that was already true. It didn't become true because he was told about it. It was already true. Discomfort and conflict can sometimes be the very thing that cause us to open our eyes and see the reality around us. The phone call, when somebody gives you bad news, they tell you something that's going on, and you're shocked and you're discouraged, but the reality is it was going on before you knew about it. There's a, there's, there's a sense in which you can say, well, the fact that I am now aware of what is going on gives the opportunity for something positive to happen. Or you can choose to ignore it and you can choose to continue to avoid the brokenness of the life of the people around you in our city, in our world, in our families, Sometimes it requires discomfort and conflict for health to ever have a chance of setting in. You have to become aware of the problem. And Nehemiah was determined to know. Until you know what is broken, you will have to continue to be satisfied to live among the ruins. And Nehemiah was determined to know what was going on. That wasn't the only thing he, he was determined to do. He would eventually go to Jerusalem. And when he got to Jerusalem, listen to what the scripture says he did. Nehemiah 1, verse 12 and 13. Then I arose in the night, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. It wasn't enough for Nehemiah just to know that the walls are broken down in some general way. Nehemiah got into the mess. If you read the passage, he got off the donkey and had to climb through the rubble. And he did it at night. There are messes in your life that you're avoiding. You don't want to get your hands dirty. You don't want to make that phone call. You don't want to involve yourself because you just know that if you get into the details of it, you're somewhat responsible for it. And Nehemiah was determined. He was determined to know, not just in a general way that the walls were in disrepair, but in a specific way. He was determined to know the details, but he wasn't just determined to know. He was also determined to pray. One of the reasons Nehemiah is one of my favorite Old Testament books is because it is a book about prayer. And it is a book about prayer that I can relate to because there are no overt miracles in the book of Nehemiah. And yet, you would be hard-pressed to find another Old Testament character who has more recorded prayers than Nehemiah. You you know, when we read Old Testament stories, you read about Moses praying, and then God parts the Red Sea. You read about Moses crying out to God, and God raining down manna from heaven. That's great, but I don't have a prayer like, like Moses. I don't know about you, but that doesn't happen a lot for me. A lot of times, I pray, and then it seems like There is no parting of the Red Sea. And manna doesn't just pour down from heaven. And Publisher's Clearinghouse doesn't show up at my doorstep. And so I can relate to Nehemiah. But the fact that that there were no miracles didn't keep Nehemiah from praying. Nehemiah prays multiple times in every chapter of this book. He was determined to, prayer, to pray. Listen to what he said in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 4. Listen to this prayer. When I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. What did he hear? He heard that the walls were in disrepair. For some days I mourned and fasted and, say it with me, prayed before the God of heaven. He heard the news, and rather than just becoming distraught, And trying to figure out what he could do, he turned all of his anxiety toward prayer. Cast all your cares on me because I care for you. Come to the Lord with prayer and petition with thanksgiving. And Jesus said, if you will do this, that he will give you a peace that surpasses understanding. Philippians chapter 4. So we, we have to understand and know that we have to be determined to know, understand what is real and what's going on, and determined to pray about it. Listen to the prayer he prayed in verse 11. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to my prayer, the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. See, Nehemiah was getting ready to take action, but he did not take action before he prayed for God to direct him and to help him. As you read through the prayers, I hope you will. I hope you'll read through Nehemiah. As you read through the prayers, let me summarize them. Lord, help me. That's what he prayed. Lord, help me. Nehemiah prayed as he was going in to see the king. Nehemiah prayed as he was preparing to, to look at the walls. Nehemiah prayed when his attackers came at him. He didn't wait to go find a quiet space to pray. He didn't wait till he had his prayer journal. He prayed in time, real time, with what was going on in the circumstances he was, he was facing. He was determined to pray, but he was also determined to go. Look what it says at the end of the chapter. Kind of an odd way to end the chapter. He says this, Nehemiah one eleven. I was cupbearer to the king. That doesn't mean anything to us. We don't have a lot of cupbearers today. But in Nehemiah's day, the cupbearer to the king was one of the most significant and powerful roles in the kingdom. It was the king's most trusted advisor. This person, they didn't just taste everything that, the king, that was going to be presented to the king. They were really in charge of everything that came into him. There was nothing that could come before him that his cupbearer didn't first have the opportunity to test and to see. So he was a trusted and valuable part of the king's administration. Now, Nehemiah was not one of them. I mean, he had been born, his heritage was a Jewish heritage, he was an exile, but he had come to this position of authority, this position, and he knew that 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 represented an opportunity that God had presented to him. When he was determined to know and heard the condition of the walls and after he prayed, listen to what Nehemiah didn't do. He didn't try to sneak away. He didn't try to fabricate some reason to leave Persia. He didn't share his concerns with other Jews and say, well, I've got this powerful position. Somebody should do something somewhere because isn't that what we do? We hear a situation like that, but I'm too responsible. I'm too busy. I've got too many many obligations for me to do anything about it. But God surely wants somebody to do something about the wall That are in disrepair in Jerusalem, I sure wish somebody would. It's a principle throughout the Bible that when God reveals to you what He is doing, that is His invitation for you to join Him in that activity. Nehemiah understood that God had revealed something to him and he was willing to join God in it. He didn't look at his circumstances and assume that he was disqualified or he was unable, he was determined to go, he was determined to take action. He didn't consider what he would be giving up. Instead, he went to the king. Understanding where you are and the position in which God has placed you and the resources with which God has entrusted you is so critical for knowing what it is that God wants you to do. Many times we look at our circumstances and we come up with excuses why we can't do something. Instead of looking at our circumstances and saying, what do my circumstances tell me I can do? Look at it throughout the Bible. You read stories of people like Joseph, who was thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, put in, put in prison. Eventually, he was brought before Pharaoh. He was made prime minister of the land, and it was done for such a time as this that he might save not just his own people, his own family, but the entire world from a severe famine. His circumstances were part of what God was using. Queen Esther was one, she, she was just a, a young orphaned girl in the city, had been carried into captivity. She was forced into a beauty pageant and basically uh, forced into the king's service as his, as his concubine, as his wife. But God had a plan. God had put her there, had positioned her, her there for a reason. Ruth, a Moabitess, she wasn't even a Jew and God used her in a powerful way and out of her lineage would come Jesus Christ, the apostle Paul who was persecuting the church until a blinding light appeared to him and God used him, the one who had persecuted the church to, to bring the church forward. Nehemiah understood that he, there was a reason he had been given the position he had been given and he wasn't using it as an excuse to prevent himself from doing what it was that God had called him to do. Listen to what it says, Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 4 through 5. Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to God. Do you hear it? There it is again. I prayed. I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king, if it please the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight and you send me to Judah, Judah, to the city of my father's grave, that I may rebuild it. I love the fact that right before he spoke to the king, he prayed again. And you know what he's called you to do? And Nehemiah understood that, and he was determined to know the reality of his circumstances. He was determined to pray, and he was determined to go. But then, don't miss this. As you read the story, not only did he go, but once he got there, he was determined to stay. Because isn't it true that so many times, the first time we come up against the obstacle, we think, oh, this must not be God's will. And we turn tail, and we run, and Nehemiah didn't do it. Now, Nehemiah had gathered a bunch of people to help him build the wall. They'd gotten the the wall up to about half its height. And then listen to what happened in Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. Now, when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come and let us meet together. At Hecphorium in the plain of Ono, but they intend to do me harm. What's happening here? Nehemiah's enemies are not very happy that the walls are being rebuilt. They have benefited financially, they have benefited through their own desire to attain political power and prestige by the walls of Jerusalem being in disrepair. They did not. It was not in their best interest that the walls be repaired. But that's what Nehemiah was doing. And they quickly determined that it was the leader. Now, there were hundreds of people building the wall. But they understood if we can get the leader off point, then we can stop the construction on the wall. And here's, here's what they did. They did not go to Nehemiah and begin with violence. They didn't even begin with threats of violence. They didn't even begin with criticism. They didn't begin with mocking they began the way so many people begin who are trying to pull us off the task to which God has called us with a friendly invitation. Hey, why don't we meet for lunch? Why don't we talk? And Nehemiah could see right through it. Why could he see right through it? I believe because Nehemiah was a man of prayer. Nehemiah had discernment. Nehemiah knew what the intent of their heart was. There are people in your life who will come to you and they will say, hey, why don't you come and meet me for lunch on the plain of Ono? Oh and your response should always be, Oh No. <laughs> what did he say? Listen to what he said. Verse 3. And I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? That is such a powerful verse. If you don't have that verse highlighted, underlined, marked, bolded, whatever you need to do, you need to underline and mark that verse. I am doing a good work and I cannot come down. Nehemiah was determined to know the reality of a circumstance. He was determined to pray. He was determined to go. And he was determined to stay. And Southside, we as a church have to have the same determination. We as a congregation have to be determined to know the reality of our circumstances and the situation of the world and the community around us. I love what it says in 1 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32 about one of the tribes of Israel. It says, The men of Issachar understood the times and they knew what to do. I don't have to tell you that we live in confusing times. We live in times of great turmoil and upheaval. Families are in trouble. The divorce rate is higher than it's ever been. Mental illness is rampant. Depression and anxiety are at all-time high. Our world is unstable and insecure. If you don't believe me, just turn on the news and watch. But we are part of something that has stood the test of time, built on a foundation that will not be shaken. People in our world today are desperate. They're seeking something stable and sure. Yet eight out of ten churches in the United States of America today are declining, or not keeping up, with the growth of the population of their neighborhoods. Many of the people who are in these churches are led by leaders and are filled with parishioners who, don't, who cannot even name one ministry or mission that their church is engaged in that benefits people outside the walls of their church. Because we would rather come to church and be comfortable in our position and our prestige than be aware that the walls are in disrepair around us. It is much easier to come and sit in an air-conditioned auditorium than to be aware of the fact that there are Christians in other parts of the world who today are dying because of their faith in Jesus Christ and their unwillingness to recant it. It's, it is much more comfortable for us to be here and to, to be among friends than it is to go out into a world of people who are hurting, who are suffering, they're suffering the deception that has been hoisted upon them by society. And they've gone through terrible things. They've made bad choices, yes, but they've lived in a world that has told them it's okay. It's okay. If we can't control drugs in America, maybe we should just legalize them instead. It, it, you know, it's, it's really about your choice and your convenience. So it, it's okay. Not, not only is abortion okay, but it's probably the best choice for you. And people have been deceived into making terrible life-altering choices that have crushed them. And we as a church have to look around and recognize we walk by people every day who have been deceived and the wall has fallen down upon them. And we can come And we can sit and we can be comfortable and we can pretend like it doesn't go on. But my guess is you don't have to go very far into your community because it probably is happening inside your family. We must be aware of what is going on around us. We have to be determined to know and to be aware. But we also have to be determined to pray. Like Nehemiah, we have to bathe everything that we do in prayer and hold it loosely like this. And while God can certainly intervene in a miraculous way, and I pray that he does, the reality is he will probably present an opportunity for you before he presents a miracle for you. He will present an opportunity for you to join him in the work that he's doing. And in so doing, strengthen your faith and bring glory to himself. But if we are only looking for the miracles and we miss the opportunities, we will continue to live in a country, in a community, and in a world and in families that are in disrepair. And we will blame God because God didn't show up and perform the miracle that we needed. And God instead is saying, I'm giving you opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. When are you going to respond? We need to be determined to know. We need to be determined to pray. And we need to be determined to go. God has given us a mission that is so much bigger than us, but it is not bigger than him. We said a few years ago, by the year 2020, we were going to plant five churches. We planted two. We have three to go. Why are we doing that? Because we look at our society and we see that eight out of ten churches in America are failing. And we recognize that we, Southside, we need to be part of the Nehemiah movement to see the walls rebuilt. And we can't do it alone. We have to be a part of it. We said we have to be determined to go not just uh, with our physical presence, but we have to be willing to invest our finances because where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. We said this Christmas, we want to give away $50,000 to missions through the Advent Conspiracy, our gift to Lottie Moon Christmas offering, our support of ministries around us. Why? Because there is nothing that we can do with our money that will have a greater impact than if we invest it in the eternal things rather than the temporary gift card and the sweater that she'll think's ugly anyway. But we have to be determined to go. Some of you have to understand that the going for you may look like in your own neighborhood, in your own community, opening the doors of your house and inviting your neighbors in for spiritual conversation and Bible study. Because there are people in our community who will never come into the doors of this church, but your neighbors would come to your house would you consider being a part of a home-based grow group and Bible study? Not to invite your church friends to come to your house, but to invite the people in your community. Because the only way we're going to be a part of rebuilding the walls is by a determination to get out of our comfortable place and to move into the ruins of our community. And we've got people living in communities all around the city. And if we truly believe that everything that we have belongs to the Lord, then don't we believe that our house belongs to him too? Or is that something we just say to make us feel better about our oversized mortgages? God has called us to go, but he's also called us to stay. That we have to be determined to stay. We are doing a good work, and we cannot come down. We have to be determined To stand on the shoulders of people who have gone before us for 75 years on this corner. And to continue to see that this corner is a launching pad for global missions around the world. And we have to be determined to say that we will do our part to continue to see that happening. I'm I'm so thankful to be a part of a church that gets that. And 53, just 53 of our members have already projected Uh, a giving next year of over $350,000. More than 80% of the members of Southside give to Southside on a regular basis. Why? Because they understand and know that we are committed. We are committed to rebuilding the walls of the church in the city of Jacksonville and around the world. We have to be determined to stay. And I, I just want you to know that that determination is something that is set inside of my heart for you as well. I, I believe that when God called me to Southside Baptist Church, I was sitting right there. I, I, I wasn't even part of your pastor. I wasn't even, I, 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 was, I, didn't, I don't even think they had a resume. I was here visiting one Sunday, and God used Nehemiah chapter 1 to speak to my heart. And he has continued to use Nehemiah chapter 6. And I continue to hear the words of Nehemiah and echo them in my mouth and I hope you'll join me in saying I am doing a good work and I cannot come down. It takes determination because it's not going to be easy. The storms come, the winds come, challenges come, change must come but we have to be determined to have a faith that will endure and be a part of a church that will prevail. But the only way that happens is if each of us, if each of you, are also determined. You have to be determined to know. You have to be determined to take inventory of your own heart, and your own family, and your own marriage, and your own finances, and your own community. You have to be willing to look and identify what is broken around you. Because as long as you're willing to ignore what is broken, you will continue to live among the ruins And God is calling you to join him in a work that will bring glory to himself and that will rebuild the walls of your life and your family. And it's not going to be easy. I talk to people all the time who finally are willing to admit, I think I've got a problem. I think my marriage is in trouble. I've tried to ignore this broken relationship with my parents or with my kids for long enough. It's time that I'm determined to know the truth, and I'm determined to take inventory. But you have to also be determined to pray, to lift everything up to the Lord. And maybe your prayer is just as simple as a prayer of Nehemiah. Lord, help me. Lord, give me favor in this moment. Lord, show me what to do. Lord, I'm confused. He hears those prayers. He's not impressed by your words. He's interested in your heart. And you must be determined to take everything to the Lord in prayer. Once you recognize what's broken, pray about it. Don't just take action. Pray first. Get other people to pray with you and pray for you. And stop praying for miracles and begin praying for opportunities. And you have to be determined to go. Listen. God did not bring you to your current position through your recent trial over your insurmountable obstacle so that you could become complacent and remain comfortable. He has positioned you for a purpose that will require a determination to act. Some of you have been through difficulties and brokenness and challenges and God brought you through that for the very purpose of giving you a ministry to the life of somebody else who would go through the same thing. People who've overcome addictions, who now can walk beside people who are trapped in addiction and say, I've been where you are. I know how messy this is. Some of you who've been through divorce, who can walk alongside of a person who's, who's picking up their p- the pieces of their life after a divorce and you can say, I've been where you are. It's not because everything in your life has been perfect that God has equipped you and used you. It's through the very brokenness of your own life that God may equip you and use you. But you have to be determined to go. You have to be determined to serve in that way. And you have to be determined to stay. Like Nehemiah, you have to be willing to say, I am doing a good work and I cannot come down. And, and, and it may be that you're just avoiding the positive distractions that come your way the invitation to just come have lunch on the plain of Ono Maybe it's criticism that's coming your way because that's what they did next to Nehemiah. Maybe, maybe after that it is threats that come your way. And maybe, it would even, maybe you would even be found worthy to suffer and be persecuted for the cause of Christ like so many in our world are. And people who would hurl stones at you because of what you determined to do. Whatever, whatever obstacle you're facing, you have to be determined in advance to say, I am doing a good work and I cannot come down. if you're going to have a faith that's built to last, if we're going to be a part of a church that prevails, we have to be determined. Determined to know, determined to pray, determined to go, and determined to stay. Father, we come before you today, and uh, I am grateful for the story of Nehemiah. Lord, every time I read this book, it doesn't feel like something that's thousands of years old. It feels like something that was written just today. And Lord, I believe that your word, which has spoken down through the ages, is speaking today to the hearts and lives of men and women who have gathered here right now for such a time as this. I believe, Lord, that there are, there are husbands who are not sure if they're going to stay in the marriage. Wives who are consider, considering leaving. Father, today may the words of Nehemiah become their words, I'm doing a good work and I cannot come down. There are parents who have given up on their kids. It's just gotten too hard, it's gotten too messy. May they repeat the words, I'm doing a good work and I cannot come down. May they be determined, Lord, to pray. There are people, Lord, among us who are medicating themselves on television and distractions because they just don't want to face the reality of their life and the world around us. Father, would you give them a determination to know. And Father, as we become overwhelmed with the reality of a broken world and a broken family and a broken heart, Father, may we bring that to you in prayer knowing that you hear our prayers. And while we don't have the strength, we don't have the power, we don't have the authority, all those things belong to you. And that you can turn even the hearts of pagan kings so that we might join you in the important work. Father, make us as a church determined to go. Father, equip us, call us. We thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. Father, today, today I would pray that even as some come and bring just a projection card, Lord, that you would bless the sacrifice that we are attempting to make to see the walls of your church rebuilt, not just on this corner, but in this nation, that the kingdom, your kingdom may come and your will may be done on earth as it is in heaven. For we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.